Welcome to season two, the Acosta Institute podcast. In this season, we curated interviews with nine educators, community leaders, and practitioners who use their deep understanding of trauma to create conditions for collective thriving. We call them wounded healers, a concept that finds its roots in both Carl Jung's work and Greek mythology. For Jung, the wounded healer represented the sensitivity and understanding of one's own wounds and how this informs helping others to heal and transform. In this interview, we sit with Dr. Ian Levy, an author, hip-hop educator, and director of school counseling at Manhattan College. My name is Ian Levy. I'm a professor at Manhattan College and specialize in hip-hop-based school counseling approaches. So I grew up with musicians for parents. So my mom's an opera singer. My dad's a jazz trombonist. So like my whole life was music. I played trumpet for ever. Never really was into hip-hop growing up. And that's a whole other story, but can be boiled down to a lot of sort of, I guess, traditional musicians, classical jazz purists, like don't look at hip-hop fondly all the time, or at least not when I was growing up in my household. So I... In college in New York City, where I grew up and sort of born and raised, so I went to Queens College undergrad. I just had a bunch of roommates that just like loved hip hop, and like it just permeated like everything that was happening. And hip hop was obviously always around me in the city, but I never listened. So I just like fell into it. Had roommates that would like go to freestyle like open mic joints and like bring me to them, and I just loved it. And started trying to write my own stuff. I think had like a natural affinity towards it because I had like grown up playing trumpet. So like I had like this breath control so I could like spit for a really long time and hold my breath. And people were like, how can you not breathe like that? I was like, I don't know. I just learned that, I guess, from this. I had like a good like sense of rhythm. And so like it just fit like a glove. Like I started rapping, but not like just rapping. I started writing and without sort of realizing it, pouring out like a ton of stuff that I never had like spoken about before. So like my entire high school existence is like, I didn't really do that well in high school. I had a lot of repressed emotions. I had a learning disability and I felt kind of just like outcasted and did not believe in myself academically and like dove into music hardcore. And so as I like got into these like freestyle spaces, cypher spaces, whatever it is, you know, I was sharing like I was literally rapping about like having a learning disability and like rapping about like feuds with my dad that like I never had told anybody about and like everybody loved it like it was the weirdest thing like all of the things that I had wanted to talk about before uh, or sorry had feared talking about because I felt like I'd be ashamed for talking about them came out through this through rapping and through communicating in like hip-hop spaces and they were met with like just validation and support. And I just was like addicted to it. So I just kept writing and kept going back because that was where I could go to make sense of who I was. And then like from there, I mean, there's a whole bunch of things, but like very long story short, like now I'm a professor and I teach about hip hop and it's power to do exactly that. Right. And how we can use it with young people to help them sort through their emotions. I remember I was like, between undergrad and starting my master's at Columbia. And I was home at my folks' house. They had moved up to Westchester and I built a studio in their basement. And I was like in there with some friends and I was like, you know what, this is really cool. Like I've been writing a lot 
I feel like it's helped me. Like, I wonder when I go get my doctoral degree in counseling or my master's degree first in counseling, um, I wonder if there's a way like to use this, like to use hip hop to support students and to, to, yeah, like, is there a way that we can think about how to engage in counseling through hip hop? Because without really thinking about it, it already offered me a counseling like process. And then I went to Columbia and I like immediately met like my mentor and big brother, Dr. Chris Emden, who does like hip hop work and education generally, mostly in science ed, but was just like, heard my ideas and was like, yes, like you have to do this. And that, that was pretty mind blowing. Cause I sort of was scared that Columbia being like the Ivy league was not going to like think that hip hop was something that would be valuable at all. And I think mostly that still was true, except for a select set of folks at Columbia who are just great scholars and incredible people that, that understand its value. So my, uh, my mentor, Chris, was like, let's do this. And then from there, the rest is history. I just started writing about it, thinking about it, studying it, presenting at conferences. There's so many different ways that, that I've seen it's had impact. Um, the first, I guess, most straightforward way is just when you place a microphone, like I started by just placing my microphone from my closet that I was using to rhyme, like in my office as a school counselor at a high school in the Bronx, um, off the two five on prospect. And so I was like in this high school there and I put this microphone in my office and like that in and of itself immediately, like made students want to come into the room. Like they were like, what's this? Like it just, it created an entry point for which there historically has not been because counseling is like definitely rooted in like white Eurocentric ways of knowing and being and is not built for anybody other than like white folks in its traditional sense. And so like just by like having a, a, a counseling office even look like a studio was like, oh, wait, like this is interesting. Like maybe I can go in there. Like maybe I want to go in there. And so like that on on the for help seeking behaviors, I guess, like helps immediately just makes people like feel like I can go in there. But then in the process, right, like there's the listening to music, right? So there's like, if if I have a student who does not really want to open up because they don't either like have the vocabulary to talk about what it is that they're feeling, or like they just don't feel comfortable yet. Like I can very simply ask students, like, what are you listening to right now? And so like, by listening to like, a lot of when I was beginning my work, it was like Meek Mill, right? But right now it might be like a Polo G or something like that, right? There are so many themes of like, of like distrust, of heartbreak and different like traumatic elements, right? That I can like listen to and be like, hey, you know, when, when Meek Mill talks about like clashes with his family, like why, you know, why do you think he said that? Or like, why do you, why do you like this song in particular? Like, do you have your own family stuff that maybe like comes up for you. And like, I can start engaging in conversations just based off of what folks are listening to. Cause usually people are listening to things related to sort of their mental state. So like, like immediately that's a sort of base level entry point. So opening up conversations, promoting like emotional self-awareness through just like talking about the emotional and cognitive like themes behind music. But then beyond that point, then there's the writing. So then it's like, okay, if you like this Meek Mill track, let's take the let me find the instrumental on YouTube real quick. Let's download it. What if you wrote about like your experiences with family over this same track? And so then as students are writing, I can say like, what is that? You know, what do you mean by that line? Or I, I can ask them questions to help further their thinking about it to make sure that they're doing that, like digging, right? That like self-exploration through rhyme. 
and then they can record it, share it with family. And through all that, we've seen like decreases in stress, anxiety, depression. We've seen like using lyric writing as a coping skill. So I've had a lot of students who like things would happen, like big events would happen, like a huge media story around like a huge instance of like police brutality. And I'd be worried about students at home. And then I'd come to school the next day and have a group. And then the students would be like, check out what I wrote last night. And they were at home writing about the thing as it was happening, which for me was, was like an eye-opening thing because I realized that like I, I was preparing to talk about a lot of things that were happening in the world to process immediately when I returned. But through participating in a lot of this work, students had already begun to use lyric writing as a coping skill. So when things would happen to them, they would be like, okay, I know I can turn to this. And then I know I can bring that to the counselor to share it with them, to talk through it. So it just created this immediate, like almost like iterative process where they would be writing, recording, performing, sharing, discussing emotions. And it was just like this space. And it was in a studio in the basement of a school in the Bronx. And it was just like this beautiful, this beautiful place for, for healing. This is not some like genius academic creation. Like this is just hip hop. Like that, that's all this is. Like all this is, is just saying, okay, everything that I just discussed is what hip hop has already done. In the absence of adequate counseling, young people have gone to parks and ciphered up because like that's healing. Like, so the reality is hip hop's always been there and always has been therapeutic. And so it's our job just to create spaces for it to be authentically itself, right? And then there are follow-up questions I can ask and some cool things maybe clinically that I can do on top of that, fine. But like at the core, this works because hip-hop works. To suggest that hip-hop is something that has value in counseling means that the field of counseling would have to admit that they've historically like not been interested in listening to communities of color, specifically Black and brown communities. And like, that's a hard ask for a large field, right? Um, I think it's like, there have been people that have been doing this work for a long time. And like, whether it's at the community level or people even in academic spaces trying to push it that aren't like white men. So then like, I've started to do this work and people are like, oh, wow, you know? And it's like, not like, and that's, that's why I'm so adamant about saying like, this is the community stuff because like, I don't want that. I think there's part of it where there's an acceptance that folks are willing to provide to hip hop if it's like communicated through whiteness, which is colonialism, period, right? So like if we want to go all the way there, like denounce something until you can like reclaim it as valuable through like Western knowledge, right? So now it's like, oh, we can talk about how hip hop is therapeutic in premier academic journals with top tier ranking. And now it's valuable, but like it's always been valuable forever. And so like, this is a tension, if that's not clear <laughs> as I'm talking about that, like is something that um, is necessary to navigate. And so all, I think academia has been the barrier. I think like the places that define what knowledge is, and then as default, what people who want to become healers, school counselors, social workers, anybody that works in a school, school psychologists, even teachers, right? who learn about how healing should operate in school, learn through academic journals, textbooks, professors, university spaces. 
And those have been the very spaces that have not listened and purposefully, I would say, have not listened uh, to hip hop. These two scholars that I admire, uh, Linwood Vereen and Michael Hannon, they're both in school counseling, counseling period, but also school-based work. And they've like put forth this concept of irreducibility, which is basically that as counselors, we should never reduce the people that we are working with to like singular phenomena, whether that's identities, like we should appreciate people for the complexities that they are. And I think that what academia and what like, yeah, I'd say academia has successfully done within counseling, which I hate, is that they've reduced many people's experiences to singular phenomena. So like we'll explain hip hop as only dangerous and violent and gang related and misogynistic. And it has those elements, but like, so does everything, right? Like everything has something problematic, right? So like, but hip hop is also resilience. It's also, it's, it's, it's just a beautiful, vast, complex thing that I can't even define in one sentence, right? Sure. We can look at hip hop as like responsible for promoting violence or promoting drug use. And while that might be true in some capacity, it also teaches people how to take care of themselves. It also teaches people how to build community and to communicate. And it gives people understandings of how to operate in the world and like grow authentically. I mean, there's like so many things, right? One of the things about counseling that we need to be wary of is as we're helping people heal and as we're helping people grow, are we seeing them for all of who they are? And especially within hip hop. And so like one of the, I would consider this a barrier to hip hop, but might not on the surface look like a barrier to hip hop is like, when you start to do some of this work in schools, all of a sudden people are like, we can use hip hop to teach people how to like use proper English. And so they'll like have kids rap about like, you know, taking those old vocabulary lists that we used to get in English classes and rap using like ridiculous language that you wouldn't want to use in a verse. Or if you would use it, you would want to use it on your own terms. Not like, let me make a list with 20 ridiculous words that people don't actually use in sentences. Um, and now all of a sudden I'm brilliant because I can do this. So how can we even use hip hop to like, and this is like the danger is how can hip hop be used to further minimize the complexities of people? Like you can use hip hop if you can communicate it in a way that is palatable to like whiteness and white audiences. Now you're brilliant and you're yourself. I would in fact say, we don't want any of that, right? I want to hear all this stuff. I want to hear the hard stuff. And, and I want to challenge the problematic stuff, right? Like if I'm working with a young person who is really expressing a lot of things and, and, and I love it and I'm, and I'm in it, but then in there, there's like really homophobic beliefs. Like I'm gonna work on that with them. But like, I can't work on that with them if it doesn't come up, right? Like, and so I want hip hop for all of it so I can get all the beautiful stuff. And so I can get the stuff that people have been socialized to like believe to help them work through that as well. And so it's about embracing like the complexity right, of, of it and, and the beauty of it and not the yeah, minimizing. <laughs> Yeah.
you know, I think that we try to like separate out where like physically in school buildings, where the places are that people can like work on different parts of their development. So like, I'm going to work on myself academically in math and I'm going to work on myself emotionally in the counselor's office, right? What that creates is this idea that like you can piecemeal somebody's development, that when I'm in math, all I need to focus on is like learning this equation, but not that like I have emotional responses to learning this equation, whether that's like self-doubt or any number of things that people can feel about it, or just frankly, I was on the way to school today and something really crappy happened and now I'm trying to sit down and you're trying to make me do the Pythagorean theorem, right? Like there's like, so there are emotion, there's emotional baggage we could say, but there's, we're emotional beings, right? Like every space that we were in, every, in, every interaction that we're having uh, requires an understanding of our emotions to like be in that space, right? And so like, I think a lot of the work requires that like teachers are able to just validate and hear and understand students' emotions. I'm not trying to say that teachers need to be able to like unpack all of like the traumatic experiences that their students have had, right? I do think that there are differences between counselors and teachers and work should happen in different ways in different spaces, but not like as binary as we've created it, right? So like teachers should be able to have emotional conversations with students and check in with them. They should be able to, to have activities that they can facilitate in their classrooms, either with their school counselor or by themselves that allow folks to just process the emotions they're bringing into the space, either prior to engaging in the work or in order to, like in order to engage in the work, right? Like, um, I think that all becomes incredibly necessary. I think that we need to think about what our actual like physical school buildings are communicating, right? So like if I'm coming from, from an environment where I feel like I'm constantly being like, watched over and I feel like my existence is being policed and then I get to school and I have to walk through a metal detector? Like how does school just then perpetuate that very same understanding? How does school set folks up to feel emotionally unwell, but then yet expect them to then go right downstairs to class and learn, right? So like, how are we reimagining what the entrance spaces to schools look like, what the hallways feel like? And that requires, I think, preparing almost everybody in a school environment to operate through like this healing lens in different ways. Right now for me, I'm trying to train school counselors to do a lot of the hip hop work I was just talking about. My day to day right now is like directing the, the school counseling program at Manhattan College. So like anybody that wants to get certified to be a school counselor in New York City or state can do that at Manhattan College as well as others. But in my program, there's like, we are launching a hip hop course specifically designed to like teach folks how to facilitate like hip hop based interventions in schools that will involve working directly with young people during that course. And it's experiential and really cool, but I'm really just fascinated with developing future practitioners. I want to see studios and schools across the city. I want to see healing happening through hip hop based interventions in schools across the city. But I understand that that is a delicate thing and needs to happen the right way. And the right folks need to be facilitating that. And so I want to begin to train, you know, folks to do that. And so I've been lucky enough to, to pilot a lot of that work. And so what's next for me is just doing that, right? Training practitioners, partnering with more schools to help them get programs running that are anchored in hip hop, that support young people and making sense of the emotions they're bringing into school spaces with them, you know, and building community with each other. 
Thank you for listening to season two. We invite you to reflect on the many ways in which you are a wounded healer yourself. We want to thank Paper Monday for helping us curate these interviews and the photographs that accompany them. We want to thank DK and Joe Barat for the sound engineering. And thank Maria Tan at the House of Thriving for co-producing this season. Stay tuned.